0: We're in the middle of the I Am series at the moment around the statements that Jesus makes uh, that essentially describe parts of who he is, parts of his character. So we've had Sarah started off um, with I Am the Way, the Truth and the Life. We had Ben with I Am the Bread of Life um, and the the Bacon Sandwich um, that he constructed on, on stage. We had I Am the Resurrection and the Life on Easter Sunday. This morning... We're going to do, I am the good shepherd. Now, it's, not, that's, it's important to clarify that's not I am the shepherd. It's I am the good shepherd. It's also not I am a good shepherd. It's I am the good shepherd. And we'll get on to some of that in a minute. But I am the good shepherd is a bit of a weird analogy. Because essentially that's what these are. These are analogies that Jesus is using to teach us something about who he is. And I am the good shepherd is a weird one for us. Culturally, because for for many of us, unless we've got any farmers in the room, I know we we have a few people who farm and are into agriculture um, throughout the the group of the the church, Um, but for most of us, there's quite a big gap now between agriculture and our day-to-day lives. And so we lose something a little bit in the analogy, because you've got to remember that when Jesus was talking, he was talking to a specific group of people at a specific time in history in their cultural context. So we've kind of got to lay the groundwork a little bit to be able to understand where Jesus is coming from, and I suppose how the people would interpret what Jesus was saying. So Jesus is talking, we're going to read it in a minute in John chapter 10, but Jesus is talking. To a group of people in 1st century. It's 1st century because of Jesus. So he gets the benefit of of putting the the zero in the date. He's around between 30 and 33 AD um, in Israel. So we're talking about 1st century Israel. Now the economy in 1st century Israel will have been largely subsistence farming it will have been agricultural so the the nation of israel started off as a kind of nomadic people you have abraham beginning of the old testament in genesis abraham travels from place to place and takes flocks and he he camps in different places they dig a well and when the water dries up they move on to somewhere else and they dig another well and they're very reliant on their livestock and then you get the people of Israel ending up in Egypt because of a, a situation that occurred through Joseph. And you can go through the coat of many colors and all of that story and history that, that goes on there. And they end up settled in Egypt and ultimately become subsistence subsistent agricultural people, but also slaves in that context. And then we have the famous... 10 plagues of Egypt, Moses takes people out of Egypt, they go across the deserts and they enter into the promised land in Canaan and settle in that land and start to farm and develop the area and they build up towns and cities in that area and as you build up towns and cities what happens is you have kind of several different groups of people, is everyone with me still? I realize I've gone in quite deep early on so just just come, come with me. Uh, we'll jump in the deep end together. Um, you've got the farmers who are essentially providing a lot of the food and the basis of the economy. So a lot of the economy will be driven by farming, by growing crops and keeping livestock. Then you've got a group of people that will have developed that are essentially what we would describe as service people, who have roles in society as your towns get bigger that aren't directly related to agriculture but will provide a lot of the services and things that other people need and that people within the, the towns and cities need, but are still kind of dependent on that underpinning economy, right? Then you get the ruling classes that come in and essentially do one of two things. One, they live off the proceeds of the land, but also they tend to be the landlords that would either rent out their land to people to be able to farm, or would hire people to come in and create their own kind of business for them. And in that category, you've also got, because of the way that the nation was set up, by extension, the religious leaders and the Pharisees and the priests. Because the priests were reliant on people bringing their offerings. That's how they got their food supply, was people bringing offerings to the temple. And then you've got Pharisees and Sadducees and people, teachers of the law, who are also reliant on that kind of combination of offerings that come in and land ownership and tenancy and everything else. Essentially, what I'm saying is everybody in the group that Jesus is talking to, whether you're talking to people from the lowest realms of society right up to the ruling classes, whoever that was in that crowd would understand the importance of sheep, we don't understand the importance of sheep. If anything, for us, sheep has kind of taken on a bit of a negative connotation because we get these kind of cultural inferences of, oh, if you're a sheep, you are following the crowd. You're a conformist. You're not breaking your own mold. You're not going in your own direction. You're not kind of forging your own way in the world. And so a sheep has become quite a negative connotation in our society. Jesus is talking before all of that negative connotation came in. So what I want you to do, for the purposes of this illustration, when we're talking about being the good shepherd and being the sheep, I want you to remove our negative connotation from sheep. Because our negative connotation from sheep assumes that some people are sheep and other people are not sheep. When Jesus is talking, and in this analogy, everyone's a sheep. right? In the parable of the lost sheep, the sheep who forges his own path and goes his own way and plans his own destiny is still a sheep that has to go and be rescued, right? And found by the good shepherd. So in this context, for simple terms, Jesus is the good shepherd, we are the sheep. Is everyone happy with that? Good. I thought it's nice to, get, to kind of get that out of the way and, and set the context. So in that context, Jesus is talking to a group of people. And he's talking to, he starts off talking to the Pharisees, but he will be talking to a group of people as well. He's going through a bit of a situation where he's making these statements, these I am statements, talking about who he is, talking about him being the Messiah, him coming to save the world, him being the son of God, and trying to kind of break down those illusions that people had about, what, about who God is and what it is to engage in a relationship with him. And he's facing some challenge he gets religious teachers of the law who are essentially debating with him and also openly disagreeing and on some occasions actively trying to stone him because of some of the things that he's saying. And that's the context for this passage of Scripture, which is John 10. It's relatively long, but we'll work through it together. So John 10, it's only 18 verses, to be fair. There's quite a few more verses than that in the Bible itself. So we'll be all right. As a percentage, it's very, very small. Um, John 10, 1 to 18 says this, Very truly, I tell you Pharisees, very specifically talking to the Pharisees now, anyone who doesn't enter the sheep pen by the gate, now he says the sheep pen, this is the first time Jesus has mentioned a sheep pen, so if you're thinking what sheep pen, it's an analogy, it's not a real sheep pen, it's just the way it is. Anyone who doesn't enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they'll never follow a stranger. In fact, they'll run away from him because they don't recognize a stranger's voice. Now, some of us read that and go, what? we're not the only ones jesus used this figure of speech but the pharisees didn't understand what he was telling them so they didn't get it so he says it again therefore jesus said again very truly i tell you i am the gate for the sheep all who have come before me are thieves and robbers but the sheep haven't listened to them i am the gate Whoever enters through me will be saved. I am the gate. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. This is commonality throughout everything that Jesus is saying. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and doesn't own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep. My sheep know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that aren't of this sheep pen. That's us. I must bring them in also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. Is that it? That's it. No, it isn't. No, it isn't. I thought it wasn't. It's good. So, the reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it away from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my Father. This is one of those statements that's in the category of things that the people who were listening didn't really understand, didn't really appreciate what Jesus was saying. When Jesus talks about being the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep, we have the benefit of hindsight. We are post-Easter now. We're literally a week post-Easter. But we're also... After the crucifixion and the resurrection, we know that when Jesus talks about laying down his life for his sheep, he's saying, I've come to give my life so that you can be in relationship with the Father. We know that. The people who he's talking to don't. But he says it to them again and again and again so that we have a context for what he's saying. So the question is this, having established that sheep are important, having established that Jesus is the good shepherd and that we are the sheep, what is Jesus trying to say in this analogy? What's he trying to say in this story? If he's the good shepherd and we're the sheep, ultimately, if we follow him, we will be protected, we will be loved, we will be blessed, we will be saved. Protected loved, blessed, saved, because we follow the good shepherd. There are other people in this story that you can follow. There will be other influences in your life that you can follow, but they won't lead you to that place of being protected, saved, blessed, and loved. Jesus is the good shepherd. We are the sheep. Who wants that for their life? Who wants that for the kids' lives? This is the way that we want to live, in that place of being loved, blessed, and protected, and saved. So, we're going to do just three very quick things, quite practical things, that we can do, and that Jesus refers to in this passage, to know who Jesus is as the Good Shepherd. And how to follow him in a way that is right. First one. So actually we'll do John ten twenty seven. says this. It summarizes it really, really quickly and succinctly. Further on in the passage. These are the three things. Very quickly. My sheep listen to my voice. They know. so I know them. And they follow me. They listen, know, and follow. Jesus talks about several times in this passage. I know my sheep and they know me as I know the Father and he knows me. First thing that we're going to focus on as sheep is we need to know Jesus. Do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? Language is a fascinating thing, isn't it? It's weird. But that's where it has to start. Do you know Jesus? And I'm not talking about encyclopedic head knowledge, things that you find out about somebody. It's funny because sometimes when we, when we think about Jesus, particularly if you think back to before you knew Jesus, sometimes we, we have this approach of I need to know all that I need to know about Jesus. I want to find out more about what this is before I sign up to it. We don't, use, we don't treat any of our other relationships that way. We don't. I didn't know everything about Ree before I married her. I didn't. She didn't know everything about me, which is probably the thing that I'm most grateful for. But she didn't know all the little things that would absolutely drive her crazy after we got married. She didn't know all the things that she would grow to love and enjoy and and cherish and hold dear. Just as I didn't know those things about her either. But it didn't stop me starting a relationship. It didn't stop me committing my life to her knowing that it was going to be difficult, knowing that there were going to be challenges to that relationship, knowing that actually sometimes there would be questions asked about that relationship, and also knowing that ultimately I'd entered into a relationship with a person who's not perfect and that people sometimes let you down. And we're talking about Jesus here, but that didn't stop me committing to a relationship. You don't make friends with somebody because you know everything about them. You make friends with somebody because there's something in them that attracts you there's something in them that you like there's something you think you know what I, i like that person i want to spend more time with that person i want to get to know that person that's where we should start with jesus not trying to intellectually make sense of everything first before we commit actually this is a relationship let's start that journey of getting to know jesus first jesus says this i am the gate Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. Another way that he puts it, which Sarah did earlier on a few weeks ago, John fourteen six to 7 Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him, and you've seen him. If you want to know God, you need to know Jesus. If you want to know the plans that God has for your life, you need to know Jesus. If you want to know the security of living a life that is rooted and grounded in the things of God, you need to know Jesus. It has to start there. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the resurrection and the life. He is the bread of life. He is the good shepherd. He is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. It has to start with knowing jesus so we need to know jesus no second thing we need to listen to his voice we need to hear his voice john ten three 3 to 5 we'll go back to the start of this passage right the gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice he calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out when he's brought them out, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. Have you ever rung someone and had somebody else answer the phone? Do you ever get that? Now, to be fair, this is, a, this is an analogy. It doesn't really work in today's day and age because caller ID has ruined this example for me. And I was really when I put this together, it was really annoying. Because caller ID, mobile phones have ruined this. Um, And actually, I had a bit of a disagreement with my eldest son, who's nine, this morning. um, And I found myself saying something which was so apt, but it was just completely off the cuff. Um, Because we essentially had one of those arguments of, I said, well, we're turning all the screens off now. We're turning off TV. We're turning off the iPads. We're turning off the iPods. We're turning off anything else beginning with I. And you're just going to have to find something else to do. And he said, "I don't know what there is to do. I can't watch YouTube. I can't play. I can't do it." And I found myself just saying, out of sheer frustration, "There was a time before screens, you know." <laughs> there are people in this room who will not will not know a time before screens. I realise I'm looking in this direction, but it's not exclusively. Uh, there was a time before screens. I'm just going to say it now, but. Um, Caller ID has ruined this, because today, right? you you go into your phone, nobody types in phone numbers. How many people... Do you ever type in a phone number? That's a weird experience now. It almost feels like there's too many digits, not quite as many as a credit card, but you don't type in credit card numbers anymore. It's all auto-saved. So you you know that when you phone someone, as a general rule, unless they're driving and somebody else picks up, when you phone someone, you know you're dialing the right number and you know that that person will answer the phone. Right? I remember a time... When mobile phones did not exist, and for those who who aren't familiar with this, if you imagine that your mobile phone was tied to one specific location in the house, tied to one specific, because it had to be connected by something called a wire, uh, which is a really weird concept, and it it didn't have a screen, so it it didn't store any phone numbers. Instead of storing phone numbers, you had to read them off a little piece of paper that was next to the phone, which was written in your mum's handwriting, which you could never read properly. And you had, to, you had to type in each digit individually, and it would go round like this, because you had, a, round, you had a, a device which had a number of buttons on it in a circle. And you'd press one and turn it round, and it would go back. And so you'd go, oh, one, seven, eight. Because you had to wait. The higher up the number is, the more you had to wait for it to come, come back round. And then by the time you've put in all the digits... You'd, somebody, it would ring their house. If they weren't in, they didn't answer the phone. if they weren't in, you couldn't talk to anyone. Text messaging did not... Who remembers time before text messaging? Text messaging did not exist until pagers. Pagers were a weird thing, weren't they? Did anyone have a pager? I had a pager. couldn't work it. It's weird. I had a pager. I was cool. <laughs> Only the cool people had pagers. For those who don't know what pagers are, Google it. It's fun. Um, so it didn't have a screen... And if they weren't in, you couldn't speak to them. But occasionally what would happen is somebody would walk past, it would ring in your house and you'd walk past and pick up the phone and they'd just say, hello? Right, if you didn't recognise that voice, as a 10-year-old child, the panic... Associated with not recognising that voice, because it wasn't—it wouldn't necessarily be your friend who answered the phone. It might be their mum, might be their sister, might be their brother, might be their their other brother, might be their dad, might be their grand who just happened to pop round and just answered the phone. You wouldn't necessarily know who answered the phone. Equally, it could be the wrong number entirely, and be some bloke called Dave who's selling tyres in Stroud. I I don't know it could it's a weird it's a weird thing right but if you've ever had that where you phone someone and somebody else other than the one that you expect answers the phone how do you know because you know it's not the person you want to speak to and you know that because you know the person that you want to, you know their voice and they answer the phone it's an unfamiliar voice it's the same as if you ring so if you ring so i answer i answer my wife's phone when she's driving sometimes and that freaks people out it's quite strange but you have to know the voice of the person that is answering the phone and when they answer the phone there's that security that comes you can have that conversation and you can have a conversation at the level that's appropriate for that relationship why because you trust that person you trust that person even though you can't see them unless it's face to see there was a time before facetime now as well facetime has ruined this for me but in an audio only call you'll say things to people that you wouldn't say to a stranger because you know them you trust their voice you know their voice Jesus says, the gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. When he's brought out all of his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. We need to get to know the voice of Jesus. We need to get to know him. You know him, you know and recognize his voice, and listen to his voice. There's a difference between recognizing his voice and listening to his voice. Ask any child. They will know their parents' voice. They don't necessarily listen to their parents' voice. You have to put the two things together. Know Jesus. Trust Jesus. Know his voice and listen to his voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees didn't understand what he was telling them. Why did they not understand? He's trying to tell them I am the good shepherd. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. They don't understand what he's trying to tell them. Possibly because their worldview was based on a system where God spoke to a chosen few people and they then interpreted the word for the rest of society. Jesus was changing the way that God communicates. He was changing it from that system to one way God speaks to everybody. And everybody can know his voice. Everyone can get to know him and know him the way that, he, that we should. Jesus was changing their system. So John 14:25 to 26, a couple of chapters later, four chapters later, says this. All this I have spoken while still with you. Everything I've said so far I've said while I'm here. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. John 16, 12 to 14 says, I've got much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it's it's from me, that he will receive what he will make known to you. We need to get to know the voice of Jesus. How do we do that in today's context, today's day and age? This is after Jesus sent the Holy Spirit. We need to get to know the voice of the Holy Spirit because the voice of the Holy Spirit speaks Jesus' words to us. We need to know him. We need to listen to his voice. You learn to recognize someone's voice By the amount of time that you spend listening to them. The people that you know well, you know well because you've spent time with them. The voices you know, you know because you've spent a lot of time listening to them. If we want to get to know Jesus very practically, if we want to get to know Jesus, we want to get to know how to listen to his voice, how to hear his voice, how to tell his voice from any of the others that are speaking, we need to spend time with Jesus. Taking time, setting it aside actively choosing to ask him to speak and listening so if you do nothing else this week can i encourage you take some time set it aside spend some time with jesus and ask him to speak to you start to get to know that voice in your life because if you know him and you listen to his voice you'll then be able to follow him so we know, we listen, and we follow. We're going back, John 10, 3 to 5. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him. The sheep are led out, listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. When he's brought out all of his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. If you don't know his voice, you'll struggle to follow him. Let's get to know the voice of Jesus so that we can follow him in our day-to-day lives. Because this is the trick, right? This is the application. If you want something to take away with you and apply into your day-to-day life, that is following God in your day-to-day life and actually making the decisions that are wise and from him, making the decisions that line up with his word, making the decisions that are right for you and for the plans that he has for you, you need to follow him. To follow him, you need to know his voice. To know his voice, you need to spend time with him and get to know him. Know Jesus, hear his voice, follow him. Because this is what will impact what you do this afternoon, tomorrow, Wednesday evening. Whatever, whenever those decision moments happen to come, that will make the difference. It sets the foundation for a solid life. Right? Jesus repeats himself several times over the course of the Bible. Um, and over the course of the, the Gospels, Jesus repeats the words and the messages that he's trying to say, but he uses different analogies. How many people, are you familiar with the uh, wise man who built his house on the rock? The wise man built his house upon the rock. Anyone who's Sunday school aficionados? Any Sunday school fans? And the rain came tumbling down. No. Okay, so you've got, there's a story, it's not on the screen, but there's a story where a wise Jesus tells a parable about the wise man who builds his house upon the rock and the storms of life come and the waves come and they crash against the rock and the house stands firm. There's a foolish man who builds his house on the sand. I'm not sure why the rock's over there and the sand's over here, but still. Foolish man, built. don't take it personally. Foolish man builds his house on the sand and the waves and the storms of life come and his house falls flat. What's the difference between their two approaches? The wise man is he who hears my words and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. It's not just about hearing the words. It's about putting them into practice. We need to know God. We need to know Jesus. We need to listen to his voice. We need to hear his voice, and we need to put them into practice, actively Follow him. That's what makes a difference. That's what makes a strong foundation. When the waves come, when the storms come, because storms will come. We know that. Everyone who's lived for any period of time knows that life sometimes is easy and sometimes is hard. The storms come. That strong foundation, what makes a difference is the application. But this works as a cycle, right? If we know Jesus, we'll know his voice if we know his voice, we'll be able to follow him. The more we follow him, the better we'll know him. The better we know him, the better we'll get at listening to his voice and recognizing his voice. The better we get at listening and recognizing his voice, the better we'll get at following him and making the right decisions. And the better we get at following him and making the right decisions, the better we get to know him and listen to his voice and follow this is what's in biological terms. This is a positive feedback mechanism. If we've got any biology fans in the house, this is something that will the more you do it, it will reinforce that signal. But it starts somewhere. Jesus started his journey with the disciples with, Come, follow me. When they followed him, they got to know him. When they got to know him, they listened to his voice. When they listened to his voice, they followed him more. Psalm 23 is one of the most famous passages of scripture. It's often read, um, it's read quite a lot at uh, weddings, read, read quite a lot of funerals actually, Psalm 23. But many of you be, be familiar with this. This is not just a psalm about a shepherd. This is a psalm about this whole process of who Jesus is and what he came to do. Because it says this, Right? The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. I have all that I need because he is the bread of life. The bread of life who satisfies. Who brings true nutrition. Who brings true wholeness. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths bringing honor to his name. He guides me along right paths because he is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through him. But when that happens, we rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. We're guided along right paths that bring honor to his name. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, some translations say the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil or I will not be afraid for you are close beside me your rod and your staff protect and comfort me even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death I will not be afraid why because he is the resurrection and the life he has conquered death death has no hold now walking through this valley is not optional every single one of us will walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Some of us at the point when we die, some of us, the shadow of death. If you talk to someone who's lost a loved one, you talk to someone who works in palliative care, you talk to someone who works in healthcare in general, you talk to someone who's experienced loss and grief and pain, they're walking through the valley of the shadow of death. And we can walk through that alone or we can walk through it with the good shepherd. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not be afraid because I'm not walking through it alone. I am walking through it with the good shepherd whose rod and staff comfort me and protect me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me All the days of my life. And I will live in the house of the Lord forever. Because he is the good shepherd. You know, when the thief comes to steal, kill and destroy, he comes that you may have life. And life in all its fullness. And wherever you are in life, Jesus wants to give you life in all its fullness. You know, if you're in a time where you're by peaceful streams... And in peaceful meadows, he wants to restore your soul. He wants to give you that life in all its fullness there. If you're walking through the darkest valley right now, Jesus wants to walk with you. To protect you, to comfort you as you're going through that. And you may feel surrounded by enemies, but he wants to make a feast for you in that place he wants to remove your fear and pour out blessings so that your cup overflows with joy that you may dwell in the house of the lord forever and this morning my prayer for you is that you know jesus and if you don't know jesus i want to make an opportunity for you to do that this could be the moment where you just choose to start that relationship so we're just going to do it very, very simply. If, you, if everyone just bow, bow your heads for a moment. If you don't know Jesus and you want to, can I encourage you just pray this prayer? Jesus, I thank you that you are the good shepherd, that you came to lay down your life for me. Jesus, I want to choose not to go my own way, but to follow you for all the days of my life. Come into my heart. Make me new. Amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer for the first time, it's the start of the most amazing relationship that you will ever enter into. Can I encourage you, don't, don't keep that to yourself. Come and share it with some. We're going to have some guys at the side who are going to pray for people this morning. Come and share, speak to some of those. Any of the guys in a red lanyard, please do speak to them and just let them know because we'd love to support you in that journey as you go on. But for all of us, my prayer for you is that you know Jesus, that you hear his voice, that you listen to his voice and that you follow him. And that as a result, you dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of your life.